Today's going to be an interesting message. That was your warning. Um, uh, my title today is uh, Lockdown Lessons. Uh, we're, we've just passed the three-year anniversary of the, the pandemic lockdown, um, and I wanted to share with you some important lessons that I feel like I have been challenged with over these. This has been on my heart for a long time. Uh, some of you have heard some of this in private, as well as uh, leaking out at different times. Um, and uh, as we approach this, I, um, I realize I'm not as old as some of you, and I'm older than some of you, so I'm right in there. Um, it, it's shocking to me when you get to the point in life where the history books that the kids are learning, you lived some of those events. <laughs> Uh, some of you uh, have, you, you know about that. You, you know about uh, when it, you, you look at your kids' books and you go, I, I remember uh, what happened there. I, I think about big events in our, in my lifetime, the Gulf Wars and 9-11. Um, some of you spent some time in the Middle East uh, serving our country. Uh, and so when we talk about uh, the Gulf Wars, it's not something that you're reading in a book you've seen it. You, you lived that. You, you had a, a picture of that already. I think of my father, uh, who he grew up uh, in Germany during World War II. Uh, and when our kids talk about that, and even uh, friends from the church in past years, they always wanted to talk to my dad because it get his perspective as he was there. I think of my grandparents that I uh, grew up with in Santa Barbara, and they I experienced the depression, and they were part of that group, kind of dust bowlers, if you will, that moved from the center of our country uh, out to the coast. Uh, I always think it's funny for my grandparents, their family, some of the family uh, came to Bakersfield, as many did, and my grandparents, my, my grandfather, made the extra drive. It was probably not three hours at the time, but he made it all the way to Santa Barbara, they could have just went a little further. You know what I mean? You know, those folks from Bakersfield. Anyways, um, but they had divorce. Anyways, um, living history. And I, I want to tell you that as we've gone through uh, these last three years, that, that's a mark in history. That's a part of our history now. And it's not that significant other than what happened during that time and what... Um, what we will look upon that as, as time progresses. I know that there are many here today who, even this last week, I got an email from the school, our school district, that coronavirus is over. Uh, that's what the email said. And we're not going to do it anymore. And I thought, it's about time. Um, but yeah, uh, when we think of things being over, most of us think in terms of going through a difficult time, it's over, Whew, it'll never happen again. It'll never happen again. And I, I, I think that we can look at history and say that history has bad times all the time. Whether you experience it or not, there's always bad things happening in history. In fact, uh, rarely does anything good make the history books. Uh, it's mostly one bad chapter after another. And so for those of you who are, and I was, we were talking about it, Rebecca and I, and, 
I was sharing with one of you this morning that it, it's easier to talk about this the older you are. Not easier in the sense that uh, you like talking about it, but you can see perspective and you realize that you, know, you, you can complain and talk about things being bad and it, there's really not this big um, thing for you. But I, I want to tell you, I, and I know and I, I hear it in, in your voice, for those of you who are younger, I get it. You don't want to think about it. Uh, you want to think that happy days are here again and it'll only be good. Um, when you hear about things as talking about another war or even a world war, and maybe even you think about uh, those of you who are younger raising kids and you hear about banks collapsing or the dollar collapsing, uh, you want to say, well, I just want to think about that always being good and, and I, I get it. Um, the ruin of the food supply and our planet uh, through various forms of pollution, both uh, that just happening and that that is being sprayed into our air um, or ruining our water supply or another man-made virus, uh, either destined uh, by another country or entity that wants to destroy us or just by accident or whatever. We, how do we know about these things? Um, what do we know? Um, but we want to really think through happy days and smooth sailing. And, and I want to tell you, as a pastor, and, and I'm not trying to be humble or anything like that. Some of you who know me know this is true. I'm probably the, one of the most shallow people you'll ever meet. I, I, I mean that. I, like, I don't like to think about anything difficult. I like to just enjoy life and have a barbecue and, like, I like, you know, good times and tan lines and all that other stuff. And uh, I, I want to tell you that that's my heart. Uh, and yet uh, there are difficult things in this life where we have to look at them in terms of being prepared. And when I talk about preparation today, I, I, I want to tell you I'm not talking about buying a bucket of rice or a bucket of oatmeal or raising your own garden or getting some chickens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you and me, our families, this church, being prepared in the Lord uh, for whatever the future would hold. I thought it was interesting last week as our missionary Todd Dick, as he shared from the book of Job, a powerful message about trials. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know he was going to talk about that, but a powerful message, one that's hard to really wrestle with. But to know that trials will come and that it is our opportunity to glorify God in the midst of those as God intended. This morning, uh, I, have, um, I have seven points and a bunch of scripture uh, that I want to share with you, lessons to learn or lessons from the lockdown um, and, and I want to tell you that all these are hope in hope for us to be prepared and not be caught off guard for whatever the future holds. Um, you know, my dad used to always talk about, you know, not knowing the future, but knowing the one that holds the future. And that's an important piece for us is that we would be prepared in him. And so we'll start in the book of Acts chapter twenty. And one of the, the biggest lessons that I, as I look at the lockdown is that we remember that the church gathers and matters. The church gathers and matters. Um, when we think of things that matter, uh, we think of things that, you know, 
don't fit into our schedule or do fit into our schedule. Or, or maybe it's like, if I have time, I'll go to that. If I have time, I'll prioritize that. But if I don't, it really doesn't matter that much. And so I'll push that off. Um, when I say the church gathers and matters, as I look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 7, it says this. And this is talking, when you think about Acts, this was the beginning of the church. This is the, the, the starting of the church of Jesus Christ after he is gone as Peter and Paul, as they put into motion the, the idea of the church that we participate in even now. Um, it, it said this, and this is by example. He says, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them intending to depart uh, the next day, he would prolong his speech until midnight. I'm not suggesting anything here this morning. Um, we're not going to have a long service, though I do have a lot of scripture. I'm going to uh, try to get through this. But the church gathers, and, and you know, all these points this morning are, are ones that I could have 10, 15 passages, or maybe even more, that I could talk about because there's examples of this over and over. This is not a small point. But the church always gathers. Uh, the church gathers to meet with one another, to, to look at the apostles' teaching, to, to hear from one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to greet one another. Uh, this is why the church meets. And we gather together um, as we do this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. And th- this is one of my favorite passages, but I, I always kind of cringe when people say this is... Uh, a command to obey, because it's really not a command to obey, but it's really the lifeblood, the lifeblood, the danger uh, of us as we uh, don't fulfill our roles in the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the idea of the church not gathering and not meeting is a non-starter position. It should never happen. And I'll apologize again for Bear Valley Church. We're not going to do that again. We're not going to do that. We're going to figure it out. We'll meet inside. We'll meet outside, we'll meet on the roof, or we'll meet in a barn, or we're going to meet, okay? Because uh, we meet, and this is why we meet, is to encouraging each other. And it's this non-negotiable thing that the church doesn't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Uh, the church meets and marches to the command of God, not to a law, not to a law. Not to even, you know, the, the winds of change or, or sickness or like it, it meets. And, and when I say sickness or disease, I don't want to, I don't say like, uh, come if you're feeling like trash and you, you're sick and you have a snotty nose like a, a four year old or something like that. Four year olds can't really help it. But, anyways, but, but this idea that we meet together and it's our habit, it's not our habit to not meet, it's our habit to meet. And, uh, you know, so we do this. And so it's a priority uh, that we have. And I, I just want to, like, leave that out there. I, I want to encourage you. I want to um, 
I, I want to tell you, it's lifeblood for you to be a part of a church. And if this isn't your church, that's fine. Go find another one. Go find a better one, okay? Uh, and, and this idea that we would be connected in substantial ways and, and, and it would be our habit to be together. I want to tell you that you need that, but your kids need that too. Your teenagers need that, but your little ones need that. Um, there's going to be a temptation as, as life progresses, whatever the, the problems or the tragedies or the trials or the history that comes after us, it will be the temptation. And, and I would even say it's the enemy's plan to divide us and draw us away from this assembly and cause us in generations in the, in the future to say, uh, we don't really need the church. We don't need God's people. We don't need to gather. Uh, oh, this is a, just this is a, a extra point here. A point, extra point within the point. Face to face matters. It's better. In First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seventeen through twenty, and I want to say, it, Paul says it again later in the book of First Thessalonians. He says this. So First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen. It says. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you, what? Face to face, face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us uh, for what is our hope and our joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus, is it not you? Is it not you? And later on, he says, face to face. I want to come see you face to face. And what I'm telling you, Paul wasn't engaging them week to week, but he knew what grandparents know. What do grandparents know? I got to see him face to face. You know, if you can't kiss that face, you know, it's second best, Right. It's that idea, you, you want to see them face-to-face. Parents know this as well, too, right? When your kid's away, you go, I just need to see them face-to-face. And I, and I want to encourage you, you know, we do the live stream, and we've questioned whether that's a good thing, especially after this message, we'll question if it's a good thing to have my voice out there doing, you know, saying things like this. Um, whether it's, but face-to-face is where it's at, uh, as you think about your time here and your connection, I want to encourage you. Uh, it is good for you to see others face-to-face and encourage people face-to-face and be the church face-to-face. Number two, uh, remember that authority is ordained, limited, fallible, and most likely compromised. Most likely compromised. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, we've looked at this the last couple of times I preached It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And you look at that, and and one of the core pieces of this is this, that authority is given by God. It's ordained by God. It's put in place by God. That said, it's important that it's limited it's limited to the, the particular thing. In that passage, you can look at it, and he gives examples of bearing the sword, bearing the sword, keeping structure to society that people don't murder and steal. Structure, okay, bear the sword. If somebody does that, they get the sword, right? 
Uh, and then uh, later after that, in, in the same way, I would say connected with, to pay taxes. Sorry to bring that up. I pay taxes in regards to bearing the sword, uh, that they, we would be protected. It's important to think this through, and we've talked about this over and over. I'm just reiterating that this same government is not infallible, <laughs> infallible. I know I didn't need to tell you that, but I'm telling you that. It's not infallible. So when uh, the government says something, you shouldn't say, oh, there it is. You know, another chapter in the Bible, right? Just put it in the back. Because God's ordained them. They must be saying what's true, right? Uh, and, and I want to say this. I, I want you to hear it. Um, because it comes from the government does not mean that it's true. I know I don't need to say that, but if it, if it says this came from the state of California, that's the government, right? School district, government, right? President of the United States, whether you think he's a good guy or a bad guy or the next guy or the next guy, like, it doesn't matter. It came, the, the, the president said so. I don't know. Uh, you, you look at maybe even government, government organizations. We talk about it. We, this last three years, we say, well, the CDC said so. I'm trying not to talk too much about this. Anyways, real quickly, real quickly. The CDC, look it up. Look it up. Uh, what, what organizations sponsor the CDC? And you say, oh, no, they're, they're sponsored by the government. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Bunch of our money, and it's not our, like, when we say that, that's really funny, because how much, how much taxes do you pay? It's not a very high percentage of the total budget, okay? Your portion is very small. Uh, even our portion collect, anyways, what am I talking about? Um, you look up CDC, and you say, what, who funds the CDC? Are there any donations? Yeah, you can look up the, the highest donations, and they are all they are all, I don't say all, they're all. Um, drug companies and like three or four or five organizations that Bill Gates owns. Um, you, you look at these things and you go, these people have a vested interest in something. And so to say, oh, the CDC would never lead us astray. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like... Anyways, uh, and the who is the same way. Um, I'm going to move on. Um, They're fallible. The government is fallible. And multiple times as you look at the scripture, you can look at uh, God's people righteously disobeyed. You think of Daniel uh, and, and... you know, a couple different times in uh, the book of Daniel where he stood up and he continued to pray, he continued to do what God wanted him to do, even at the point of death. Uh, you think of the Hebrew moms in the book of Exodus as they, uh, they, they would not give up their babies, which of course they wouldn't. That's, that's ridiculous. Even if the government was there and God had put them in place that they would not uh, give up their babies to be killed. Um, you think of Daniel, you think of... Uh, the Hebrew moms and midwives, you think of Stephen in the New Testament, and you think about Peter and the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, right? 
that they were all, they spent time in jail, right? They were not ones that turned over their brain to the government or the authorities and said, hey, just I'll I'll do whatever you say. Uh, God put them in place, but not to be our brain, okay? I want to extend this out a little bit. Uh, We talked about government, but it's also doctors. It's also bosses. It's also teachers and coaches, I think about uh, many of you have jobs that uh, publicly traded companies, and I, I just want to encourage you to think through that if you're in a job with a company, with a publicly traded company, they're, they're not just making decisions what's best for your company, they're making decisions based on whoever's in charge. And it's not just the shareholders, it's the largest shareholders. It's the largest shareholders. And I would uh, suggest to you that in the United States, probably throughout the world, all, almost all companies are owned by three companies. Three companies. And so there's a very few small people making decisions for all these companies, okay? And so to think through, if you're... If your company wants you to do this, they say you have to do this. It may not be for the good of the company. It may not be for your good. Uh, it may be pushed and for different things. But doctors as well, you think that through and you say, well, doctors, you know, they're just concerned about health. And I want to say this, uh, many are, many are. But many also are walking around with an iPad and it's as if, you know, they're reading it for the first time. You have the sniffles. I need to do this. I need to do this. They're not asking you questions. They're just going, I need to do this. And this, this was written by somebody else. It was written by somebody else. It was written by somebody else who's owned one of those companies that I mentioned earlier. So, so the idea that there's authority, there's authority in doctors or bosses or teachers or coaches I want to tell you that there, there is authority in that, but it is not absolute authority. And so there should be this question in your mind, God, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want me to do? My boss says to do this. My doctor says to do this. My teacher says to do this. My coach says I have to do this. I, I, I want to tell you, you know, parents, you should be teaching your kids, oh, no, you don't. In fact, there should be a pushback, an initial pushback, immediately say, Coach, uh, be careful. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And so uh, you are my authority on the field, but you are not my absolute authority. And so if you say, I have to do it, you're kind of taking that spot of God. And so I, I want, want you to be careful, and I want you to know that I only have one God, and it's not you. Um, to think that through, what is your authority, and uh, and what does God and and all of these have exerted in the last three years this thing that says, "I've already thought for you. I can make decisions for you." And I just want to tell you, no, no, we have authority. If they, if they have authority, it's authority from God, and He is our one authority. Things to remember. Okay, number three. 
Remember that only the fear of God should shape us. In Matthew chapter uh, 10, verses 26 through 30, um, and this is in light of persecution. By the way, a lot of this, hard times, hard times bring these things up, right? When everything's going smoothly, nobody thinks about right or wrong or, you know, we don't. But during hard times, these are the times that bring these things up. In, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 26 through 30. So have no fear of them in light of tri- tribulation and trials. So have no fear of them. Uh, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear, uh, what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. As we look at this... Um, yeah, actually, can we? Yeah, there you go. Uh, the second part. Are, are not, uh, Todd mentioned this last week. That's probably where you heard it. If it reminds you. It says this and not, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your, uh, of your head are all numbered, which I always think that's funny. <laughs> I always think that's funny. Um, I, I want you to get this, and this is very important in light of lockdown, in light of uh, what we've gone through, in light of the things that might come in the future. And, and it's this, that um, there's the threat of death, isn't there? There's the threat, maybe in terms of the government, a uh, threat of a beating or uh, incarceration. And one of the great manipulations of the last three years is you might die. To which we should say with more animation, I know. I know. But, but they took it a step further, and you're going to kill grandma. You're going to kill grandma. And, and, and this idea is that, you know, we're, we're, you need to fear everything. You need to fear everything. You might get sick. I know. I know. You know how I know? I've been sick before. And, and my, it's not like a faith thing or anything like that. My anticipation is I'll get sick again. But all of this is not in the hands of man, but it's in the hands of God. And, and the idea that we would fear either pressure or sickness or, or anything outside. We're, we're fearing all this, all this is unwise. It's foolish, in fact. It'll make us make bad decisions. And so the scripture calls us, as Jesus spoke, as we think of trials that are to come, and as we think about remembering what will be in the future, what, what should we should learn today that we would be equipped for the future is to fear only God. Fear only God. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, and this, this idea of fearing God is throughout the scripture. But this is a warning. It says, the, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is what Brandon was talking about from Proverbs, right? It's everywhere. 
And the idea for us, the best place for us is to be waking up fearing God in a sense of, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to handle this situation? When we're at our doctor, when we're at our boss, when we're at our practice, when we're at school, when we're talking with our family, to not fear them, but fear God. And to make that the thing that shapes us. Many of us, myself included, uh, allowed the fear of death to shape us, the fear of sickness, or the fear of approval of others. I spent some time in different places and this and that where there was pressure to comply. And, and, and it wasn't pressure so much by rules as it was, you're a good person. You're a good person if you agree with me. And it, you're a good person if you jump in line. And, and there was this great fear of man that, that shaped our world. And I want to tell you, it's, it's been true you know, five years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago. We remember bad choices we've made because we cared too much what other people thought and we didn't follow the one who loves us so much. Number four, we're moving along. Uh, number four, uh, remember that true power, uh, powerful unity is only in Christ and only in him alone. We are not in this together. In Philippians chapter 2, and like I said, this is one of those passages, this topics that comes throughout the New Testament as the church is united. Uh, Paul uses it as the basis for us serving one another and following after Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what God's word says. There it is. Uh, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. What you have there is this. On the basis of the riches that we all received in Jesus, he calls us and changes us to be one. I want to tell you the reason we're not all in this together is because we live in the midst of a world that does not know Christ. And if they knew Christ, both neighbors, neighbors and government, local government and national government, if they all followed after Christ, if, if the companies, these large, huge companies, if, if uh, Wall Street was saved by the blood of the Lamb, we could all say this, we're all in this together. And it, not just all in this together, we're all out of here together, right? This life is temporary and we share this common faith. But we are not. And so as we look at the world, there's not just a suspicion, but there's a knowledge that we are not on the same page. And so it would follow that maybe we would make different decisions. Or at least every time we come to that fork in the road, we would have to say, is this what God would have me do? Is this what a believer in Jesus Christ, is this what 
uh, we do as God's people. And that's not easy. That's not easy. It wasn't easy the last three years. It wasn't easy before then. It's always hard. I I think about what it must be like uh, to have lived in some of these difficult places and times and other countries even and say, as God's people, there's a struggle to follow what God would want you to do in the midst of chaos. Uh, Number five, number five, remember that we have a Savior and Lord and also an enemy. I spoke to the men about this a couple of weeks ago, but in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, uh, he calls on it. we as his people at the end after salvation has been established and the greatness of the gospel and all the riches that we have in the church. And he says this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We could talk a long time about that. I have uh, before, and I'll probably do it again, but uh, strength is in the Lord, and, and that's you know where we gain our strength from. But this whole passage is why are we to be strong? Why are we to use the armor of God? It's very simple. Because we wrestle against uh, forces, enemy forces, or enemy, the enemy and enemies, okay? The, the ones under the enemy, the enemies. Uh, we, we fight them all the time. And it's not the ones you think of. When you think of your enemies, you think, oh, yeah. My brother-in-law, I can't stand that guy. You know, my boss, he's the worst. He's the worst. Uh, You you think of different people in your life that you say, these are my enemies, my neighbor, and this. And and he says, no, it's not about that. It's about the ones behind your enemies. The enemies behind the enemy. And that's happening all the time. And he says, you can't handle it. You can't handle it. And so why does he say in verse 10, um, why does he say, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? Because your might's not enough. And so there, there's this idea that we would remember in the midst of chaos and trials and, and persecution and, and pressure that we would say, hey, I have a Savior and Lord. I have a Savior and Lord. He's strong. He, he, he's enough for me. He's enough for me. And it's not just about me making bad decisions and good decisions. I have an enemy, and the war is hot. Number five, remember that we have a Savior and Lord and an enemy as well. Uh, Number six, number six, be alert. Uh, This is a little bit different. It's not just remember to to be alert. Uh, To see the spirit of Antichrist, Antichrists, and who knows, maybe even the Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and uh, John really develops this idea of Antichrist and uh, wants us to remember by the inspiration of God. He wants us to remember. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that 
Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. What I find interesting is this. And, you know, in translation, they could do this. I I think that part of it was they didn't want to give title and uh, prominence. But uh, that first Antichrist in there is a capital A. Capital A, it should be. Because there's one coming. The specific Antichrist is coming. I don't believe he's here yet that I know of. But what we can know now is that there are Antichrists right now. If you look over 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, he mentions this again in the same book later. He says, uh, by this you know that the Spirit... By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Already. At the time of writing, this was the spirit of Antichrist was in the world. And in this passage, and I think the other one, if you expand it out a little bit, it connects accepting Jesus Christ as the one true Savior, the answer, the the core of the gospel for mankind, as that is true and from God. And if somebody denies that, that is the spirit of Antichrist. And as they're a leader in that, They are an antichrist. And ultimately, there's one that will come who is the antichrist and will lead the last stand charge, greatest defeat, I would say. That's what's going to happen. And so for us, it's wise, it's wise to follow our Savior and Lord and cling to him. We end up talking about this idea of clinging to him. Uh, because this is who we are made to be. As you think about this, the rejection of Jesus is the rejection of the plan of the Father. It's, it's not being who we were created to be. And I want to tell you that we see in the world right now, right now, I could give you a list. I could give you names. You could give me names of antichrists in the world right now. They can't all be the one, right? Uh, And what is the desire of these antichrists? Is to replace the creator, savior, Lord with one that is not God. Over and over again. And and, and it's this principle that this this is God's plan, his son Jesus. And they say, oh, This is a better plan, and it's not Jesus. It's this rejection of Jesus. I want to tell you that we should remember this. And the newest idea, the progress, the newest progress that we have, much of what progress is deemed or labeled progress today is to replace God as the creator. It is to take what God has created and somehow twist it uh, 
or replace it, throw it to the side and replace it with what? Man's creation. Man's creation. This was the problem in Romans chapter one. This is this, all this idea of rejecting the creator, which reminds me, I've heard in the last few years, and really for me, it's only been the last couple of years. It's been going on far longer about the Great Reset. Um, and if you study the Great Reset, there's lists of really basic things where there's a group of very wealthy, very powerful people that meet from time to time, and, and they, they get together as the World Economic Forum, and their desire is, if you listen to their message over and over again, and they, they have like, you know, phrases that battle cries, and one of them is build back better. Build back better. And, and what I would say is this. Why don't we go back to our creator? It's not as catchy. Why don't we listen to God, the one who created us? Wouldn't that be the best idea? If there's a time to reset, wouldn't it be go back to the original specs? But that's not the desire of these people. They're like, get rid of what was in the past and replace it and replace it with something of our own mind, our own thinking. I want to tell you that uh, that is the spirit of Antichrist. And those who put it out there are Antichrists. Transhumanism. If you don't know what that is, it's coming. It's here, it's coming. And it's the idea of taking that which God created and molding it together with machines. So there's this defining, is it created by God or is it created by whoever created the parts? Transhumanism, transgenderism, what is that? The way you were created has no bearing on who you are. Has no bearing. In fact, it can be in and of itself wrong. That the way you were created, the way that you are made can be wrong and so it needs to be changed. Transgenderism. There's desires for what uh, are called 15-minute cities. And for those of us who live in Tehachapi, it sounds awesome. To have all we need 15 minutes away, uh, apart from the fact that as you study this idea, this concept of having everything that you need in 15 minutes, uh, the reason they call it a 15-minute city because concentration camps have a bit of a negative twist to it. Um, what if God wants me to go outside of those 15 minutes? What if, what if there's something important that he wants me to do? Oh, you can't do that. That's going to cost you. I think I should move on. Uh, actually, I want to say this one thing too. Uh, just this last couple of weeks, uh, introduced in, into uh, for the country of Israel, there's been a, a, a bill proposed that it would make criminal it would make it a criminal offense to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you do that. Um, I think the first offense was a year in prison, and the second offense was two years in prison. 
Spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist. Uh, and, and what this is, what this is, and I want you to get this, it's important to remember, is man desires to make God in his image. But if you read the Bible, it doesn't say that. It says that we were made in his image, not him and our own desires and image. I want to encourage you. Uh, there's a book written by a previous pastor here, Mike Lore, Living Large. Uh, it talks all about this idea of uh, the Antichrist. He's thought more about it than uh, many other things, m- much more than I. And it would be helpful for you if you, you desire to read that. I want to tell you that the desire of Antichrist is, is to have controlling unity in him. Controlling unity. That he would gather all together. That they would be controlled and unified in him. Lastly, uh, remember, number seven, remember that only hope for Bear Valley Church, you and your family, is to cling to the gospel. Today and to the end. Today and to the end. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, I chose this one because uh, they were wandering away. They were wandering away from the gospel. And I think that's the great danger for us is that we would see something else as more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the strong language that Paul brings at the, really the outset without greeting In the book of Galatians, he says this, verses six through nine. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul talking about him and his partners, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you initially, let him be accursed, anathema, damned. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, anathema, damned. I want to tell you that that, um, as we think about, this message could have also been called not just lessons from the lockdown. Uh, It could be called the solid rock, the solid rock. We sang it earlier. Zach's going to close up our time, but I I, I I want you to get this. This passage says that the gospel is the grace of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. There's not, this isn't an issue of works. This isn't something other than Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. And, and his shock and his, his urging is, don't be so stupid. Don't be so stupid. I'm shocked that you would leave the only gospel that saves because times get tough. Because you have another idea. Grace of Christ, he says, there is no other gospel. There's no other gospel. It can't come from the government. It can't come from a group. It it can't come from a think tank. It can't come from the rich. It can't come from the masses. It can't come from anybody. There's one gospel. It's Jesus Christ. 
he gets so extreme. I, I hear this and I, I think it's funny, but I also think, wow, Paul, you're, you're kind of going overboard. He says that if we come to you again, it's like Paul comes, preaches the gospel, leaves. And, and if he comes back and he says, hey, we rethought what we told you before, got a different idea. He says, no, let, let us be damned. Let, let us be rejected at the, the most violent. Let, let us be thrown out. And he says, not just that, but if, if, if an angel appears, touched by an angel, he appears to you and I have this vision and it's like aliens or I had this amazing light from above and it's it shared with me this message. I want to say that message, even if you have this amazing experience from an angel, let them be damned because it's a different message. And I, I want to say it this way. I, I hope you got it. I hope you got it. Verses 8 and 9 is double damned. <laughs> Real quick, you know, preachers tend to repeat themselves. I want to tell you, preachers tend to repeat themselves. <laughs> and a lot of times that's just stalling because they can't remember what the next point is. <laughs> but in this, this is in, inspired, inspired. And he says, I want to make a point. I remember when I was in metal shop, when I was in middle school, junior high, and, and we were supposed to put an imprint of our name, and we had these little letters, and, and you, you'd hit it with a hammer, and then you'd look at it, and you'd say, oh, I didn't hit it hard enough, so what did you do? Hit it again! Hit it again, and this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, when it comes to the gospel, there's one gospel, you should cling to it. And I want you to hear this. If anyone else has it, let them be damned. And if you didn't get it, cling to the gospel. Why? Because every other gospel is not true. They should be damned. Okay? Cling to the gospel. I want to encourage you as a person and a leader in your family to have a death grip on the gospel. I don't know what's coming. I don't have a clue. But I want to tell you... uh, it shouldn't be your money, shouldn't be your country, shouldn't be your wisdom, shouldn't be any other ideas. It should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's sing about it, Zach. Let me pray and then we'll sing. God, thank you for this time. I ask that you would help us to really learn lessons and that you'd prepare us for the days ahead. We're grateful for the truth that we know we can trust you. You are a refuge to us today, but also in the future we can trust you. We've seen your faithfulness in the past. We'll see it again. God, help us to not trust in ourselves. Help us to not go after other things. Help us to walk with you faithfully and help us to stand firm until the end. God, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.